Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Caitlin, and I am the worship director here at CLC, and I have the privilege of giving today's message. These last few weeks, our church has embarked on a journey together to lament, to listen, and to learn, to educate ourselves on the issues of racism and identify a Christian response to all that is happening in our world. Now, this message was initially going to be on the topic of why we should care. And, you know, that seemed like a really good topic at first glance. Uh, but the more we sat with it, we realized, you know, honestly, none of us actually care to listen to a sermon on why we should care. That answer seemed pretty simple. I mean, why care? Well, because Jesus cares. Because the gospel we believe in cares. And just like Pastor Ben preached a few weeks ago, when one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. But the honest truth is that sometimes we don't care. And perhaps there are honest reasons why we might not. I'll be honest, for, for most of my life, I didn't care. Um, I, was, I was neutral, indifferent, silent. I, I knew that racism was a thing um, and that these injustices were real, but I was never moved to act. And as I reflect back on why that was, I realized it was because I thought it didn't concern me. Like, I, I thought it was a black and white issue. I thought it was a political issue, a, a police issue. I thought I had no part in this. But then one day I realized I was very, very wrong. And I started to see clearly. And, you know, I, I began to see my own reflection right there in the face of the Asian officer who silently stood by, arms crossed, back turned, while George Floyd was gasping for breath on the ground behind him. It is because of privilege that the Asian officer could turn away from the violence in front of him. And it is through that same privilege that you and I can turn away from the reality of racism in our world. As Asian Americans and, and followers of Jesus, you and I have an important choice to make. A choice to use our privilege to disengage or to use our privilege to fight for justice. And today we're going to dive deep into the scriptures to see what the Bible, what Jesus really has to say about all of this. Now, before we open God's word, uh, let's kind of unpack that concept of privilege a little bit more. Um, this word is, is, is loaded. It's nuanced. It can be kind of hard to understand. And so I ask for your grace because there are probably many different ways that we could define it. Um, and there are definitely many parts of privilege that I won't be able to cover today. Um, but I just want to paint a picture for us this morning. In our society, privilege means that you can, you can go into a job interview and not have to worry about anything other than doing your best. It means you can, you can get pulled over by the cops and the worst that could happen is you, is you get a ticket. It means that you can live in your house, in your neighborhood without someone ever being suspicious of your presence there. It means having the benefit of the doubt when you walk into any room. 
And to whoever has it, I mean, these privileges open up doors to more opportunities, more opportunities to live comfortable lives in the U.S. Okay, so most of us watching this right now can probably confidently say, okay, yeah, that, that's me. I, if that's privilege, I, I have it. But you also might be thinking, like, aren't those things rights, not privileges? I mean, shouldn't everyone be able to live like that? And to you, I say, yes, that is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. That's the reason why the world is up in flames right now. Because we live in a world where some people receive that privilege and other people do not. And and who gets it and who doesn't is not random. It very much has to do with the skin color you were born with. The truth is life is not fair. The playing field is not even and we all do not start the race from the same place. Now, the point here is is not to make you feel guilty or not to make you feel condemned at all, but just to call it for what it is. I'm not not saying it's good or bad. I'm not even going to cover whether it's earned or unearned. I mean, that's a whole nother message for a whole nother time. But the bottom line is you and I have privilege. Well, in first century Palestine, uh, one man who understood privilege very well was the Apostle Paul. Um, in, in Philippians chapter 3, he, he says this himself. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And what he does next is he starts listing off seven different things. And these seven things can either be attributed to one things that he had received just just by birth, things that he didn't have to earn or work for, but was simply given, and two, things that he had achieved, things that he had successfully worked hard for. So, So let's continue reading that together. It says, verse five, it says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, that was Paul pre-Jesus. He was a a true Israelite, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, he was like top of the social pyramid, uh, straight A student, number one at his job. He was like the goody two-shoes who was considered perfect in regard to the law. He was one privileged man. I mean, he had it all. He had it all. And for most of his life before he met Jesus, Paul lived a comfortable life. He did. And he, he enjoyed the benefits of his privilege. For Paul, his, his benefits looked like, like credibility, credibility in the eyes of the Jewish world. It it looks like access, having access to the religious elite. It looks like influence, status as a Pharisee. You know, it's like power, a power that allowed him to do whatever he wanted, no questions asked. You see, having privilege means having power. 
a power that requires zero effort. I mean, if you look closely at Paul's uh, description of his life, you see this progression unfold. I mean, Paul was just born. He didn't do anything right or wrong. He, he couldn't choose it. He just was. And so you can't help having privilege. I mean, it comes by virtue of things outside of our control. For us, we couldn't choose to be born with a certain skin color. We just were. And because of the world that we were born into, a world with systems and structures that treat people differently because of their skin color, some of us inherited privilege with zero effort. Paul couldn't help his privilege, but what Paul chose to do with it took a very dangerous turn. He used his power to oppress and persecute the Christian minority during his time. He used it to further his own agenda for his own selfish gain. He used it for evil and not for good. I mean, Paul messed up big time. But you see, Paul couldn't help having privilege but he could help what he did with it. And by God's grace, that was not the end of Paul's story. If we keep reading in in, uh, verse seven, he says this, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Wow, right? Like talk about a man completely changed, like a complete 180. Now this loss that Paul talks about, it doesn't mean that he got rid of his privilege. Like I said before, you can't really do that. You can't change the family or the circumstances you were born in. But the loss that he was talking about means that he no longer held on to those things for value or validation or selfish gain. And he actually goes even further to say, you know, those things are complete garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. But when Paul met Jesus, you know, it wasn't just that his mindset or his heart changed. It meant that the way he chose to live his life completely changed. I mean, take a look where Paul is writing this letter from. He's in prison. Why? Because he wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus. He would not stop preaching the gospel. I mean, nothing, not not torture, not prison, not even fear of death could keep this man from sharing the good news of the gospel. Nothing. Okay, so that that's Paul. Now, where, where do you think that Paul learned all of that from? I mean, if you go one chapter back, it, it's pretty obvious, pretty clear that Paul learned, learned this from his master. 
In Philippians chapter two, Paul writes this in, in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, hold on, like, how amazing is that? I mean, think about what Paul just said. So Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God, God, the, the God of the universe, the creator of the world, God, the one who is all powerful and almighty and all knowing, God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the great I am, that God did not count any of that a thing to be grasped. But instead, he came down to earth in the form of a baby. And he took the form of a servant and he humbly sacrificed himself to save a broken world. Now, does that mean that when he emptied himself, he, he was no longer God? No, but it was precisely because he was God that his actions are so incredibly radical. The almighty God didn't have the slightest interest in keeping his power all for himself, but out of love and in humility, even to the point of death on a cross, he poured out every last drop for you and for me. For him, his priority was, was to spend his privilege, not to keep it for himself. Okay, so, so what is Paul saying? I mean, what does this really mean for us? Well, if, if we go back up a few verses to, to verses three and four, Paul applies it. Um, and he says this, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's saying, don't be selfish. Don't just think about yourself and what you want and what you need. I mean, he's not saying disregard that, but he's saying, look to the interests of others also. He's saying, count them more significant than yourselves. More significant. The temptation of privilege is to, is to keep it, is to, to hold on to it for ourselves. But the way of Jesus says, no, 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 pour it out, pour it out generously for the sake of others. Now, for a moment, let's talk about Asian Americans. Um, most of the people watching this service are Asian American I identify as Asian American, so let's just go straight there. Let's, let's talk about Asian American privilege. Many of us have, have similar family of origin stories. I mean, for me, you know, my grandparents immigrated here from Indonesia um, in pursuit of the American dream. And they were, they were dirt poor, uh, barely surviving, you know, moving from place to place wherever my grandpa could get a job. They faced their own experiences of racism, but never to the extent of the Black community. And because of those circumstances, I mean, my dad always tells us, he says, 
you know, I worked so hard and I studied hard so I could become successful, so that I can make money so that, so that you guys, your kids, my kids would not have to live in the same hardships that I did. And you know what he, he did, he made it, he really made it. And, and because of his efforts, you know, I was able to grow up with um, so many things. I was able to grow up in a, in a nice, safe suburb, um, go to private school, do all of the extracurriculars I wanted. And, and I never had to worry about food or safety. I, I lived a pretty comfortable life. And I myself, I mean, I didn't have to work for it. But because of previous generations before me, I could enjoy the benefits of that privilege. Now, in this common Asian American narrative that we, that we have, you know, we like to celebrate the ways that we've made it in America, ways that we you know, took control, pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps and, and did this on our own. And, you know, I would never, never take that experience of struggle and hard work away from my dad or anyone else listening to this. But at the same time, the hard truth is that we, we didn't do this on our own. Yes, hard work was involved, but a large part of our success came simply because the, the dominant culture power allowed it. During these past couple months, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing a fair amount of research on Asian American history. And, and here's what I learned. Yes, Asian Americans do have a history of racism and of being discriminated against in the United States. But at one point, something shifted. When it became politically convenient, America swapped out the yellow peril stereotype of Asians and replaced it with law-abiding, peace-loving, and courteous. When immigration acts were passed, America decided which Asians, the good Asians, to let in and which to keep out. When America wanted to secure its power and weaken the civil rights movement, America deemed Asians the model minority and Blacks the problem minority, pitting us against each other. And so our country was able to point to Asian American success stories, which resulted from this shift and say, see, there's, there's nothing wrong with the system. I mean, all minorities can overcome obstacles. All minorities can make it if they just worked hard enough. And in saying that, the dominant culture justified doing nothing to change systemic racism towards black people. And by silently accepting these new privileges, Asian Americans have become a tool in perpetuating racism. As Asian Americans today, we, we benefit from that history. Whether we like it or not, and whether it's true for us personally or not, we now have the privilege of getting the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we, we aren't looked upon as, as lazy or violent but rather hardworking and studious and smart. Our skin color isn't seen as an automatic threat, but rather we're seen as peaceful 
law-abiding, model citizens. And all of those things give us access to opportunities that other minority groups do not have. Now, I, I know there, there's more to explain here and I, I don't have uh, the time to unpack it all right now. Um, but in fact, Pastor Calvin is going to cover a lot of that next week. So feel, um, be sure to tune in um, to his message next week. Now, is, is this kind of privilege something we asked for? No. Is, is it our fault for having it? No. But the question now is, what are we going to do about it? You know, I, I personally, I learned about privilege at a very young age. Um, for me, it unveiled itself not in the form of race, but in, in the form of economic inequality. I, I think it was around fifth grade that I realized I was privileged. I had a best friend who, who used to come over and play all the time and things were great. But then one year things were different and, and I learned that her family was going through extreme financial struggles, even to the point of almost losing their house. And there I was on the other hand, you know, they're living in a two-story house with a gated community and five cars and pantries full and what seemed like unlimited resources. And the privilege that I, I was completely blind to before became uncomfortably clear. And I started to feel guilty and ashamed. And, you know, I, I even stopped inviting friends over altogether. But worst of all, I, I started to hate my own family. I mean, I was mad at them for owning such a nice house and, and spending money on shopping and cars and vacations when other people like my friend couldn't even afford the bare minimum. I saw my privilege and I felt guilt. So I hid it and I tried to run from it and I hated my own family who had it. And this went on for many years until my sophomore year of college. Yeah, I, I was venting to a church friend about all of this. And, and after I was done, she kindly said, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you know, your parents are extremely generous. I mean, you didn't know this, but a few years ago, my family was struggling and your parents helped us so much. We would not have made it without your parents' help. And in that moment, I was extremely humble. I saw my privilege and I tried to run from it. They took their privilege and they poured it out for the sake of others. You see, my parents couldn't help having privilege, but they could help what they did with it. In the eyes of the world, what Jesus did with his privilege does not make sense. The world says, achieve the American dream, go secure a better life. And Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. The world says, rise to the top. Jesus says, the first shall be last. The world says, hoard your privilege. And Jesus says, pour out every last drop for whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And, you know, we, we see this in every aspect of Jesus's life. 
I mean, he didn't spend all of his time with the rich and the elite and the socialites, which he very well could have, but he spent it with fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He didn't make other people wash his feet, though he could have. He got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you can't help having privilege, but you can help what you do with it. And like Jesus, we are called to leverage it for the glory of God and for the sake of others. So as we think about what a Christian response to racism and injustice looks like, you know, I, I really think it starts right here. It starts with acknowledging privilege. Now, for those of you who have done this work already and, and are ready for action, you might be wondering, okay, okay, what can I do? How can I leverage my privilege? And to you, I say, you know, be creative. Use your gifts, your, use your, your financial resources. Go support Black-owned businesses. Maybe, maybe take a break from cooking this week and, and order in. Or maybe, maybe donate to organizations doing justice and anti-racism work. Think about the circles where you have access the places, the people that you have influence over. Use your platform to have these tough conversations. Go inward. Talk to your families. Talk to them about racism, about privilege, about anti-Blackness within Asian culture. Vote. Protest. The list goes on and on. But for the rest of us who need just a little bit of more time to process all of this, I invite you to just take the first step and ask yourself honestly, do I have privilege? How have I used my privilege? Have I used it to turn away, to stay silent, to retreat to comfort? Have an honest conversation with the Lord Take all of the things that he's stirring up inside of you right now and just lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Remember, the point here is, is not feel guilty, is not feel condemned. The point is just to acknowledge it. And once you're ready to acknowledge it, ask him to help you. Ask him to remind you of the goodness of the gospel, to show you how God himself loved us so much that he let go of privilege to save us. And then allow that love to give you a new heart, a heart that cares, a heart that seeks to use your privilege for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so in awe of your amazing and radical and selfless love a love that gave up the privileges and comforts of heaven to die on a cross and to save us, Lord. Father God, help us. Help us to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, we, we're sorry for the ways that we failed. 
for the ways we've chosen comfort, for the ways we've used privilege for ourselves. And Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy. But Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts so that we would live a life changed, not for ourselves, but for your glory and for the sake of others. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hand it over back to Josh.